is that uh, after all the hubbub and contact and the uh, I really liked uh, Gill's universal equanimity mantra. <sighs> and say, uh, uh, so we've been exploring this theme of equanimity. And uh, you know, I think it's such an uh, important quality. And there's the, um, the quality of equanimity as a, as a Brahma-vihara, uh, as a divine abiding. And, but in the teachings also, you see this, in the, te- in the Buddhist teachings, themes will re- repeat themselves in, 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 in certain ways, so that... <clears throat> or in slight, you know, variations of a theme. So that um, equanimity is also an enlightenment factor. And there's a, a, a list of teachings where um, the um, factors of enlightenment, or seven, seven factors of enlightenment, and the last factor is actually equanimity. So that... Uh, Particularly today, an equanimity being a, a, a factor of understanding, um, it's good to recognize that. Yeah, this is you know the Buddha really put that um, you know, kind of front and center as a as a uh, as a as a vehicle or as a a quality that we have to stand on or standing upon equanimity in order to, to really awaken. And, you know, that's all, all nice theory. <laughs> but, you know, how do we get there? Uh, so that, that's, uh, uh, I think, the, especially with the, you know, all of the things that happen in, in the world, in life, uh, how do we uh, establish equanimity, or you know, or just to acknowledge that it's a possibility. Uh, what's the benefit of it? Because sometimes I, I think, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes we try too hard to try to with the attempts to make ourselves conform to an idea of we think we sh- what we think we should be or what we should have. Like I should have equanimity. That's a nice idea, but we try to put ourselves in that sort of box of, okay, I'm going to squeeze myself into this box of equanimity, and then I'm going to have it. And um, you know, I think it's just sort of holding it much more lightly and sort of, okay, what are the, the possibilities? So the possibi- that's, equanimity is a possibility amongst the many range of... of uh, reactions, emotions uh, that we're capable of. So that uh, reminding ourselves that uh, equanimity is a, is a possibility and also its benefit. So I think when we recognize the benefit of equanimity, 
then there's a natural inclination. So we encourage ourselves uh, in that way rather than forcing ourselves to have a particular, even if it's a good quality, but you know, we don't need to be forcing ourselves to try to do it or get it or be it. Uh, but when we recognize it, then we're drawn to it. There's a, um, what comes to mind is a, is a story, um, a, te- a story that Ajahn Chah used, and of course, I think all of us teachers uh, in the uh, uh, students of Ajahn Chah have, have, uh, have used it, and uh, to me it doesn't get old. And because um, it's, it's a good illustration of, of, of how easy it is to lose our equanimity and why we lose it, but then how easy it is to actually gain our balance again. Um, Ajahn Chah just gives a, a, a story or a scenario, uh, and it's uh, uh, Ajahn Chah and where his monastery was, where I lived uh, for a long time, uh, is in the is in rural uh, northeast Thailand. It's 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 quite poor, uh, and um, these are farming villagers. Uh, so that uh, a lot of the images are are uh, are farming ones, but gives the image of of somebody going into the village, and uh, and as is in every village in northeast of Thailand, you know, there's ducks and chickens, and they're wandering around, or they're in the farmyard, and and uh, somebody's starting to think. Um, you know these chickens. You know they're they're really. You know they they're. They serve some kind of a function in the morning. They, you know they you hear the the roosters crow. It gets people up. You know they got quite a quite a nice sound even, really. You think well, what's up with these ducks? You know they just quack 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 quack. You know. <laughs> What good is that? And there's no rhyme or reason for it. They don't have a time for it. They just quack, 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 quack. What's wrong with these ducks? Why aren't those, why aren't those ducks more like chickens? And then you think, and then sort of, well, you know, those chickens, you know, when, you know, when they want to, when they want to run somewhere, they just one. I mean, they walk along. They're kind of graceful. If they want to run somewhere, they can actually run. And those ducks. I mean, those. Where are they? Waddle along. They just can't. They don't get it. They don't get anywhere. Why aren't those ducks more like chickens? And of course, Ajahn Chah takes that and sort of says, "And that's the problem of our life, <laughs> where we're, we're, we want that we want ducks to be like chickens. And so like, we want, you know, this person. Why aren't they more like that person? Why isn't my?" Son, more like my daughter. Why isn't my husband or wife so like so? Why isn't my boss like this? Why isn't the world like that? You know, it's, it's, and it all comes back to we want ducks to be like chickens. <laughs> you know, and you think, wow, that's really dumb. 
the ducks are going to be ducks and chickens are going to be chickens. And just to be able to come back to something that simple. I go, okay, oh, equanimity. We can be, we can let people be who they are. We can let circumstances be what they are. We can let the world be what it is. Because when we're, we're, we're not comparing, pushing, manipulating, trying to get it uh, to be a certain way, uh, then we're, we're a lot clearer, a lot more accepting. Uh, and there's, there's just reminding ourselves of that, that, that simple perspective. And you find that that's, that, uh, that gives us a, 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 an opportunity for clear seeing. And that, uh, uh, you know, when we have that clear seeing, then we can, we can be present with things. And we can be, like, but equanimity um, is sort of thinking, you know, there's equanimity. One of the uh, maybe manifestations of equanimity is, is patience, in my mind. And patience, uh, it's helpful to kind of review because uh, you know, sometimes, we, of course, we use, we obviously have to use English words because uh, that's our, 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 uh, our native language for most of us, or certainly the language of, uh, that we're learning Buddhism in. Uh, but, uh, you know, patience, often, you know, the, the language carries with it some certain assumptions, uh, so that, for me anyway, uh, what my first assumption is with the word patience um, is just kind of uh, being patient with something means kind of begrudgingly waiting for something un unpleasant to be over. <laughs> and that's okay, I got, I got to be patient. So that that uh, I mean, it doesn't you know the the mind state that that in kind of engenders uh, is not very spacious, not very beautiful. Uh, but patience, I think from a Buddhist perspective, when we when we're teaching from the word what patience is that ability to be present and equanimous with circumstances, whether we like it or dislike it, whether we want it, we don't want it, whether we approve of it, whether we disapprove of it. We can be patient, we can be present, we can be with it. And so that, that patience uh, is, is kind of coupled with equanimity, an ability to be equanimous and steady uh, with with what we're seeing, and there can, and that's how you can actually uh, that clear seeing uh, has an opportunity for arising uh, when we have that that willingness to be patient and present with our our circumstances, and yeah, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's even going to change the uh, circumstance, like the, and it could be something that's that, that that is unpleasant. I'm thinking of um, comes to mind is a a um, there's a, a 
very senior um, disciple of, of Ajahn Man, who was Ajahn, one of Ajahn Chah's teachers. He was the great, um, kind of the great arahant of the age uh, in Thailand. He, um, his students uh, really, or he was kind of the grandfather of the, the forest tradition, the, the kind of the, actually it's even great-grandfather now of the forest tradition in Thailand. And uh, uh, this was a, uh, one of his first students, and, uh, and he's somebody who I met and had an opportunity to meet on several occasions. And wonderful teacher, um, and um, he wasn't, he was one of the most peaceful people uh, that, that I ever met. You come into somebody's presence and you just feel cool and peaceful. And he didn't do a whole lot of teaching. He wasn't sort of like an ebullient, char a charismatic person, say like Ajahn Chah. But he was this very peaceful, clear, steady presence that inspired a lot of people. And anyway, he, after he studied with Ajahn Man, uh, for many years, Ajahn Man uh, gave him permission to go and set up a, a monastery. And he went back to his home um, village uh, to set up a monastery. He set up the monastery. And then uh, his home village uh, was actually next to a, well, kind of a real podunk little town. Um, that turned into a provincial capital. And then it grew, and it grew. Um, and uh, his monastery ended up being sort of subsumed into this um, growing little city. And it's also the uh, city in Thailand that has an, once a year it has an elephant festival. Uh, and then the, uh, also the um, kind of the provincial headquarters of the administration got set up right across from the monastery. Uh, so it ended up in, in like the kind of the, the municipal uh, public uh, common ground was there. So everything happened there. And so he's, he went there as a forest monk, uh, set it up in this seemed somewhat isolated, quiet place. But he lived there for actually over 50 years. He never, he actually never lived anywhere else. He set up that monastery till the end of his life. I think it was over 50 years, almost 60 years. He died in his way, way in his mid-90s. Mid and uh, of course, it's noisy. Uh, it's, it's what used to be a quiet forest monastery was now um, there was all this noise around the monastery and oftentimes people would just get really frustrated and come to him and and they say what can we do about I can't live here I can't practice here I don't know what to do with all this you know it's all this noise coming to the monastery and and he was uh, he was just this solid, 
quiet, peaceful presence, I would say, why do you bother with the noise? Noise, the duty of noise is to make sound. That's the duty of noise. That's what it does. Why do you bother paying attention to it and getting involved in it? So the function or duty of your heart is to know it. Why do you not pay attention to that? Why do you lose that? And to him it was very simple. You make choices. Okay, you either you pay attention to your heart or you pay attention to the noise. And for him it was, it was a lot nicer to pay attention to his heart and not to bother with all the all the noise. It's not that he didn't hear it, it's not that it wasn't there, it's not that he's trying to shut it out and push it push it away. It's just that's its function. That's its nature. Why do you argue with it? Why do you get you know, why do you put yourself in opposition to it? So that's a, a really it's a really interesting perspective because um, you know we're we're making choices all the time. We're actually our attention is being drawn, or we're directing our attention uh, all the time in different ways, and it's important that we take responsibility for those choices. That we make a, a wise and skillful choice toward directing that attention to something that is actually satisfying or settling or um, illuminating or, you know, whatever, um, inspiring or, you know, whatever, or soothing, calming, to be able to recognize we have that opportunity to make those choices. And of course, we don't always do that. We don't always make those choices, but it's, uh, you know, that's the nature of, of, say, the choices, the unskillful choices that we make. Um, paying attention, okay, what was the result? Okay, did that work? Did it not work? Because that, that's the, the, say, the developing of wisdom and discernment isn't by getting it right all the time. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat satisfying <laughs> when we do get it right, but uh, it doesn't have to, you know, we don't, it doesn't have to be that. We can learn from our mistakes, we can learn from the times when we, when we miss our shot, uh, when, we, when we don't uh, uh, direct our attention skillfully, or we get swept up in some way. There, uh, um, I'm thinking of my myself as a. Uh, you now I've been a, a teacher um, for many years as a Buddhist teacher, uh, meditation teacher. I've been an abbot for many years, and uh, uh, you know, people oftentimes. Um, sort of, you know, make very positive comments on, on okay, you're really steady, or no, no, no. but, you know, I didn't, you know, it, 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 that's a learned skill. Uh, it's not something that, 
that uh, came naturally at all. And uh, I think of a, a time. Um, I, I was, uh, well, I, I was one time asked, um, what do you have to be in order to be an abbot of a Buddhist monastery? And I, I you have to be really stupid. <laughs> you know, you have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, nobody in their right mind would volunteer to do it. Or if somebody's angling to, to get that position, you, you know, be careful of that one. <laughs> but uh, Ajahn Chah actually sent me to become the abbot of uh, the International Monastery. Uh, it's a branch monastery of his. Uh, and uh, I was, it was in my ninth year as being a monk. So I, I didn't feel ready. And uh, but Ajahn Chah sent me to do it, so it's not really any negotiation. Uh, so <laughs> so it, uh, and, uh, you know, I did my best and, uh, you know, had my ups and downs. But at one time, I remember, um, we'd been, monastery been there for several, I don't know, five or six years at that point. I, or the, I'd been the abbot for five or six years at that point. And I thought we, we needed a new, um, like, a ordination hall, meditation hall, and... Uh, you know, not a big one, so that uh, starting to prepare that, and there was a, we we cleared the spot in the forest, and there were, then there was a, a quite a big tree beside where the hall was going to be, and I really wanted to keep that tree, and it had lots of vines around it. So I asked the uh, um, uh, the novices in the monastery to 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 chop those. Uh, vines down so that it would, it would help to protect that tree, preserve it, so it didn't strangle the tree. And uh, and then I asked them to um, you know, clear it so that it, it they didn't uh, uh, so it looked nice in the future. So anyway, I I come back uh, after they've left, and these. Vines are, I mean, they're cut off, you know, it's a big tall tree, and they've maybe cleared them up about six feet, which to me was still messy, it wasn't neat and tidy, it was sort of, what's wrong with these people, don't they see? <laughs> <laughs> that it looks messy, uh, uh, you know, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, okay. Uh, get on my righteous horse and and okay and I'm, I'm going to finish the job myself. Uh, went and got a, a tallest ladder I could find. You know, get up there. Uh, there was uh, I can't remember one or two other people, monks with me, and uh, they're holding the ladder. And it's quite a tall ladder. It's as tall as we could find. So I get up that tree. Get up on top of the ladder. And I, you know, I'm going to show them how to do it. And I, you know, take a swing to get it up as high as possible. Well. So I dislocated my shoulder. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I said, "Wow, this is dumb." 
I'm at the top of this tall ladder with my righteous indignation. And how, how good is that? How useful is that? So it's great teaching. So they, they said, okay, I'm going to let go of that one. <laughs> so that the very direct uh, result of having yeah, views and opinions, having uh, that kind of righteous indignation, having uh, you know no equanimity, uh, no. So that that you know you, you learn these things. It's just all through our life, in little or small ways. You know, you, you end. Up, you have to learn it because it's always happening, really. You know, and it's on in small ways, big ways, um, and the reactions that we have. And, but recognizing that we can always come back to a place of equanimity. Uh, we can come back to a place, we can display it through patience. Um, and again, it's not that patience waiting for something unpleasant to be over, but patience in the sense that we're, we're really r- ready to be present. And because sometimes, as you, you know, mood comes up, and you, you know, you really like something, you really dislike something, it shouldn't be this way, I want it like that, it should be like this, and we get pulled into it. It's very seductive, uh, because, and especially when, especially when you're right, I mean. <laughs> and, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, even, it's even more seductive, and even more dangerous, so that, even more necessary to the, to be recollecting that that application of equanimity, application of of, of being present and patient. Because the the of course the benefit of that is this uh, quality of of equipoise, of steadiness, of balance, which is not. Again, it's not something imposed on the mind. It's not something that you, 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 know, you, you force the mind into a state of equanimity. The equanimity arises out of reflection and investigation. Uh, and, that's, and I think that's one of the qualities that, that uh, um, say, um, the Buddha in particular, uh, good teachers, uh, say from my own teacher, Ajahn Chah, uh, his characters are always prodding you to investigate, contemplate it, understand it, see it clearly. Because it's when we see something really clearly and get the big perspective, or we get the we get the telescope out and, and get that bigger picture, and then okay, things will be in the right place. Oftentimes, things are not in their right place, something's disconcerting, something's agitating, because we're honing in on a, on, on a small bit of the picture, so that we can keep stepping back and reminding ourselves of the, of the possibilities and the benefits of of equanimity, then you find that that's when the heart settles. That's when the when 
And, and peacefulness isn't just, a, say, like a, a state of mind. A peacefulness is a kind of, of that broad view. Uh, a broad view that allows things, everything to be there. Um, and, and it's when you can see things in, in a bigger perspective. It's also when you start to see, okay, what's, what can I actually do? It's like equanimity doesn't preclude right action. Doesn't preclude engaging skillfully. In fact, that's that's when you really have an advantage. As you can, you get a much better sense of okay, what's gonna what's gonna work? What's gonna be helpful? What's gonna be? And this is a, a phrase that comes up in the when the Buddha speak in 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 the idiom that the Buddha uses. There's a phrase that comes uh, that he uses over and over and over again concerning uh, action. So that the the action that we engage in is something that is for our own benefit and the benefit of others. It's not it's not one or the other. Because when we really do something that's of benefit for ourselves uh, with a, a broad perspective it's going to be a benefit for others. When we do something that's really a benefit to others, it brings benefit to ourselves. There's no separation there. Uh, but we have to have that, that broad view to be able to hold it, be able to, to carry that sense of bringing equanimity and stepping back into equanimity. I think that's probably a uh, maybe a helpful uh, image to be to be to be doing. How do we step back into equanimity rather than how do I make myself be equanimous? Because <laughs> we end up getting getting tight that way. So stepping back. <laughs>